you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced uh, with Paxson and Justin. I'm one of those two people. Uh, I'm I'll, the other. Hi. Exactly. Let's not introduce ourselves any further. If this is the first <laughs> time you've listened to this show, too bad. You're going to have to deduce based on uh, your own detective skills. Who's who? No, I'm Paxton. Oh, I thought we were going to play a game of this. Uh, we still, we still can. Like... I can edit this what? out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Let's, I guess let's give up the ghost. Um, hi, I'm Justin. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I got... I, the last couple of weeks I have introduced what the concept of this show is, but that eats up a lot of time. And I feel like we hopefully uh, racked up enough loyal listeners. So I'm not even really going to get into expository stuff. Let's just get right into the show. That's um, bold. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, so I have been, as far as uh, uh, media, the last few weeks, I feel like I've kind of dropped the ball a little bit on this show in that like there's been nothing I've been really that absorbed in despite being indoors all the time and assuming at the at the jump from the show that I was going to be consuming a lot of it but this week I finally had it and <laughs> it was a frustrating experience and I'll get into why in a second so for for backstory last Thursday the day before our previous episode aired I was kind of sitting around Thursday night and like without getting into details I'd had a rough week um I feel like a lot of people kind of had a weird sort of breaking point last week. We were talking about this right before going on the air, but I feel like last week people, regardless of how introverted or extroverted or whatever, uh, felt started to feel kind of, kind of cooped up and kind of stir crazy to a new degree. I, I feel like I've heard a lot of the very dumb pandemic rhetoric uh racked up uh but also just a lot of the just general malaise and frustration with being indoors and it hit me as well so thursday night i'm sitting there and i'm going i it's been a rough week i just need to relax a little bit tonight uh, i want to play a video game but i want to play something that isn't going to get me too hard in its grips because I want to be able to bounce back and still be productive this weekend. Um, so I considered final fantasy seven based on your recommendation and, and I, but I thought it's a 30 hour plus long JRPG. That's the exact opposite of the antidote I'm looking for right now. What's something more casual. And I saw that Jurassic world evolution was on sale. I love the Jurassic park IP. It's probably my favorite IP or if one of my, if not one of my favorites, um, despite the fact that it has one good movie and that's about it. <laughs> like, it's still say, a... I assume you're talking about the first one, but I will, I will give up though. There's, there's a, and there's an edit. There's a cut in the second lost world. That is like a cut from a woman screaming to Jeff Goldblum yawning. And it is maybe the funniest cut in the history of cinema. So it has one good movie and one amazing edit. I, here's here. Okay, I'm kind of glad you you opened the gates to that because sidetrack real quick. I'm kind of ride or die for the Lost World. The uh, Lost the Lost World <laughs> is the Lost World is uh, not filmmaking at its finest, and it's based on a book that Michael Crichton wrote to pay off his summer home. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is purest it motivation. Is, it you know what? It maintains the sense of uh, wonder that the original film had and grandiosity. And I, I can give mm. it that much. It might have lost any uh, 
thematic nuance or uh, grand statements to make whatsoever. And it treated the dinosaurs more like monsters than animals. But man, is it fun. Also, <laughs> I know two people who had uh, relatives that were very notable extras in that movie. Really? I'll get into Jurassic World Evolution in a minute, but I have to, I have to get into this. because yeah, no, Please, please. My, my friend from high school, his godfather wrote Carlito's Way and is also the guy in the San Diego scene uh, who is credited as, quote, unlucky bastard, um, <laughs> who is the guy that he tries to run away from the T-Rex and can't get the door open on like, I think he's running into like a blockbuster or something. And the T-Rex comes over and eats him and like tosses him into the air and chomps down on him. So that's uh, from my one from one doom to another. Yeah. Um... <laughs> oh, two extinctions. Um, <laughs> but oh, so yeah, sad. Pour one out. And then my sister's fiance, his, I, I believe it was his uncle um, is the guy that, you actually might remember this character is the guy that sees Jeff Goldblum on the train. Who's like, a, I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, shocker. Um, <laughs> that you don't remember this extra from Jurassic Park, the lost world. Uh, but this guy's like, a, this guy sees Jeff Goldblum and he's like, he's like, Hey, I saw that stuff you said about the, the dinosaur Island. This is that the beginning of the movie? He's like, he's like, guess what? I believed you. Rare. <laughs> rare and starts like roaring at jeff goldblum on the train and then it just hard cuts away from that it's this weird sort of sidetracked moment of comic relief and that's my sister's fiance's uncle i have so many strange degrees of connection to that movie <laughs> point being i <laughs> i bought this game so as a long short of it it is a um park simulator a la uh roller coaster or zoo tycoon but you make a jurassic park you make a dinosaur zoo and it's like you're in the god mode where you sort of move around, move about the island. And anyone who's seen a tycoon game knows what I'm talking about. So I don't have much connection or love for park sims. I like them okay. Uh, and I figured, ah, this seems like a park sim that's kind of up my alley. I'll get an evening's worth of enjoyment out of this. It was on sale, so I bought it. And then the next four days of my life went by and I did nothing but play Jurassic World Evolution. <laughs> um, oh, wow. It was... It got scary for a second there. I'll say like by day three, I started getting a little bit worried for myself. Like it was getting to the point where I would walk away from the game to eat lunch. And I started like itching my arm waiting to get back into it. Like I was like, I get how those like children that are obsessed with Fortnite feel now. Like I, I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like what is it about it that hooked you? And yeah. when did your park go wrong and how many people got eaten? uh i i will say i i run a i run a tight ship um at my jurassic world i've kept i've kept the guest fatalities down to a minimum uh so uh basically the way the game works is you there are five islands five i think six, six actually um mm. that you move through based on like meeting certain objectives and certain quests and each island presents their own unique set of challenges uh and basically all islands you want to get to a five-star rating to get those five-star ratings you need healthy variety of dinosaurs need to genetically engineer dinosaurs so that they are like quote unquote cooler and more exciting to the guests um so it's not like saying like you add spikes to them or anything it's, it's basically palette swaps and like uh genetic beefing um so it's like you add you give them an attack bonus or a defense bonus or a disease resilience bonus etc cetera, etc cetera. 
Does um, that like imply that the guests want to watch the dinosaurs fight or something? No, it's it's a. Uh, here's the other thing: it's so weird about the game is it's so much busy work and chores and kind of just waiting. But mm-hmm. there is, I think it scratches a very specific itch for me, which is having, having just this lifelong attachment to Jurassic Park, ad- adoring that franchise. Like it is to me kind of what you were saying about Lord of the Rings last week, which is like when you say like you see those sweeping shots of the mountains of New Zealand and you hear that score and it's just, you said, you said it, it feels like you're home. And yeah. that is kind of like, that is what Jurassic Park kind of does. It is, there's something just so incredibly majestic and weirdly just perfectly nostalgic in like hearing what I would argue is John Williams best score, uh, fight me jaws and star Wars stands. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that, that score is exceptional and it's just this world that is so, so imaginative, but more connected to reality than something like star Wars, something more tangible. There is just this kind of weird thing where it's like, I love just sitting in that world I love I love the long spans of just waiting and like oh I I built a new restaurant let's give it four minutes to see how the guests like it you know like it's uh, oh I started breeding Spinosaurus genes it should be ready in about seven minutes let me just sit here for a while while the Spinosaurus gets ready it is still so, so relaxing as you have that John Williams score playing and to just sort of move through your park and watching like it's very graphically impressive and has very excellent uh, dinosaur AI too. All the dinosaurs come with their own sort of unique personalities and preferences as far as where they're enclosed, how many dinosaurs are enclosed with them, how much space they have, what their like forest to grassland to wetland ratio is, how much food Mm -hmm. they have. And so it's like, but like when you have that perfect equilibrium to just sit there and like watch a field of stegosaurus's graze, it's like, everything like five-year-old me would ever want and like packaged neatly into this little box okay that's that's interesting so a thing that like always comes to mind when i think about like video game adaptations of well particularly films is that i feel like a lot of games are essentially trying to capture like a particular like series of shots from uh, a film normally and like what you're describing to me just sort of sounds like it is trying to basically capture that first part of uh, Jurassic Park, the first, um, where uh, I cannot remember the character's name, but basically like where the heads turn and you see the dinosaurs for the first time and you get like the moment with the score and like you get like- I'm literally getting goosebumps as you're describing this, (laughs) yes. And um, and yeah, and it's like the one moment in that film where like you really are meant to feel like, oh no, this is incredible oh, what a good idea this park is because, like, here is just this amazing spectacle that is almost unfathomable. And so what you're describing kind of feels like sitting in, having this, like, simulation where you get to sit in a moment like that for, yes. you know, four days. It's great because it, sim- it simulates every moment of the film. So it, it simulates, yes, those moments of majesty of when... Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, uh, when he and Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum, when they uh, first see the Brachiosaurus grazing uh, along the lake in that, again, chills running down my spine right now talking about it. That scene is, is pure cinematic ecstasy to me. But it, it, it is that moment. But then there's also 
if conditions are not met, if, if a dinosaur is irritated for whatever reason, like an animal, um, they all have certain degrees of comfort that they can be within. If their comfort goes bound past a certain threshold, they get testy and they make problems. Uh, so mm. like one of the things that tends to set dinosaurs off is storms. Dinosaurs don't like, uh, don't like bad weather, which is a uh, uh, somewhat frequent thing you have to deal with on some of the islands. And some of them, like the T-Rex, or particularly the Velociraptors, who I just kind of refuse to breed at this point, because like in the movies, the Velociraptors are feisty little a-holes. I, I don't are, care for them. Are uh, they perhaps two clever girls for their own good? They're two clever girls for their own good. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, so again, you recapture, you recapture that moment of seeing that Brachiosaurus in the field for the first time, but you can also recapture that moment of the T-Rex testing the uh, electric fence, seeing that it's not electrified and busting out. Yeah, it, it is like a, I can't think of a better term than wet dream. I really don't want to say wet dream. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a dream uh, for someone like me who grew up watching the VHS tape of Jurassic Park almost every single day for like two years to the point where it was completely worn out to unwatchability. It's just gives you everything you could want. And it is, it's, it's a game that I, I don't know that I could wholeheartedly recommend to any, just everybody because a, it is dangerously addictive as I found out if you are, if you are a fan and B it's, I think it scratches a very specific itch. If you like Park Sims, but you don't have much of an attachment to the Jurassic Park franchise, it might not do that much. I actually don't know how it compares to like the top tier Park Sims out there. Because uh, I'm so, the genre is fairly foreign to me. But given my limited experience with Park Sims and my vast experience with Jurassic Park, this is everything I could ever want from a Jurassic Park game. Also, Jeff Goldblum is in it a lot, like throughout oh. the game as Dr. Ian Malcolm. Uh, Very nice. It is great. I'll say the man is clearly doing it for a paycheck. He is clearly phoning it in. But Jeff Goldblum is a rare example of actor who it doesn't matter how much he phones it in, he's still extremely entertaining to listen to speak. You can tell he could not care less about the lines he is reading and it doesn't matter they're still so unbelievably charming coming out of his mouth that actually that honestly sounds appealing in its own right just yes i would like to listen to jeff goldblum not care about what he's doing for you know <laughs> however many hours that sounds incredible it's pretty awesome uh anyway yeah that's that's been when i say that's been my week i literally kind of mean that has been my week <laughs> it has wow. comprised a lot of what I've been doing lately. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, so I've actually kind of had a very opposite experience where I have been very desperately trying to get like super into something, anything, any media thing, whatever, and it just has not been working. And the main thing, and I feel like the thing that's been really emblematic of this experience for me lately is a small indie game that actually I think just came out last week. I, I got it pretty much on its launch day called uh, Signs of the Sojourner. So it's, it's an interesting game. Like it's a really interesting game. It's a, it's a narrative card game is what it is. You play as a person who inherits a shop after their mom dies. The whole idea is that uh, their mom used to be a caravanner. Like they used to run with a caravan and like get goods from neighboring cities and bring them back and sell them in this like local shop in their hometown. 
And now you have to basically start driving around, getting goods, bring them back to the shop and selling them. And there are these like little like character specific side stories that you can encounter because what the game is, is you go from city to city, you have a few characters you can talk to in every city and to talk to them, you play this card game. And what the card game is, is it's an abstraction of dialogue where you have cards that basically have certain symbols on them, like a, a circle or a triangle. And like, it kind of doesn't matter, but these uh, these symbols correspond to like different mannerisms. Uh, it's not a game that's trying to abstract dialects. It's very much like uh, like the circle stands for you know empathetic, and the uh, and the triangle stands for logical, and uh, the the square stands for forceful, like things like that. Like it's kind of like it's your manner of speaking. And uh, but before, but sorry, before you get any more into it, just out of curiosity, so it, like you say, it's a so it's a card game, so it is kind of randomized what your choices are. So is there like a lot of role playing to it? I mean, well, there is, but is it, is there a lot of um, role playing by choice? To an extent, and I think probably not in the way you're anticipating. So the way it works is basically everyone in each city uh, has a different like symbol pairing. So if you go to say Anka, um, the city in the north of the of the game's map, the people there use a lot of triangles and squares when they're talking, versus in your hometown they use circles and triangles. And so the role playing ends up being like what you end up doing after every conversation, whether you you know succeed or fail. You have you have a deck of possible things like cards you can play. It's a deck of ten cards, and after every conversation, you get a new card and you lose a card you used to have. And then, like, the card that you get is one of the cards that the person you were speaking to can use. So it's like you go to a new town, you encounter someone who's speaking using symbols, like using these mannerisms, these symbols that you do not have at all, so you can't talk to them. But then afterward, you get one of their cards, so maybe now you can speak to someone else in that same town and actually, like, use that card and hopefully carry on a conversation. So basically, the, the role-playing comes in where you have a deck of 10 cards, this deck is never really stable, but you can try to get certain cards with certain abilities that make talking to people in different cities easier, or you can specialize and get a lot of like you know, certain kinds of symbols to make it so you have a better chance of, su of succeeding in conversations in a couple cities, but like no, you can never actually talk to anybody in, other, in like different cities. So it's a game where basically... You know what? No, I don't know how to finish this sentence uh, because it's a game I've not figured out. Really, I am terrible at it. So, it, like, the art is very cutesy. It has this, like, very kind of, like, acoustic, like, happy guitar soundtrack. The art is it's very, very colorful. Uh, and, like, everything looks like a, you know, like a very, like, colorful sketch. But, and, you know, everyone, like, even when the conversations fail, it's like no one's getting, like, really angry at you. And, like, it's all very, you know, there's a happy dog that you meet who it's impossible to fail conversations with. Wee hee, this game is so bright and happy. But it is so hard. Like, it is, it is incredibly hard. And the thing is, the difficulty feels really intentional. Because it makes sense, you know, like, in this story, you are a new caravaneer. And it makes sense that you would be going around having a very difficult time doing this job. And... The and like the the loop that I can see, and I've never completed a single playthrough of it yet. It seems like a game that you're meant to kind of play again and again, and like probably specialize in like a certain like a certain like couple symbols, and like go to those towns, and then play it again, and go to some other towns. But like I've never like I get I get very fed up with it, 
it's partially just because it's difficult, but also because it, it really does seem to want to set you up to fail. And the loop seems to be, you go, you go to these towns, you learn how to speak their language, you mostly fail, get a couple things, and then you come back to your hometown and you have like this character who is supposed to be basically like, you know, your old childhood friend who's taking care of the store while you're gone. And you can tell like the thing the game wants to do is make it harder and harder for you to speak to that friend as you swap out like cards and basically make it so you can't actually speak to them anymore. So it's about, uh, you know, it's, I think it says like in the description, it's about outgrowing your hometown, but it's a game where basically every time I come to it, like every successful conversation, I haven't even explained how to succeed in conversations yet. You're basically just, yeah, you're matching symbols with someone and you try and do like, you know, match like six symbols in a row and uh or you try and like not match symbols in a way that within like the affordances of the game like is permissible once or twice but yeah i I basically go around i fail in a lot of conversations or like i fail in the key conversations where it seems like i might be able to move the main plot forward and then i come back home and then you know it's immensely difficult to speak to this like childhood friend character and yeah it's it's infuriating and like I, I bounce off of it really hard because it also feels like the failure is completely out of my control. And the thing is, this is the kind of game that I feel like normally I would love. And I would love that it's doing this. I would love that it's making me like this angry. I would love that it's like, you know, removing like all this agency from me. And it's like kind of not my fault that it's hard to talk to people. But I don't know, like I feel like there's something that is sort of like happening to me right now, being in quarantine, basically, that makes it so this kind of thing that I think is like complex and I think ambitious in how it like wants to make you angry. And yeah, I'm like realizing like, okay, yeah, I should love this and I should love how like audacious it's being and how um, it's like not trying to like, you know, give me this kind of satisfaction and how like it's subverting its own art style in doing this. But I'm, it makes me so angry. It seems like, from the way you're describing it, I know very little about it, but from what you're describing, it does sound like it's a very ambitious idea, which is uh, to its benefit, but it sounds like where it kind of fails is it, like, I think of other classically modern examples of very punishing games. Obviously, the cliche, you know, it's the Dark Souls of blah, blah, blah. The meme is has has come and gone, but... Dark Souls is an example. Hotline Miami is another example. Games that are exceptionally punishingly difficult and aggravating, but what those games have that it sounds like this one lacks is a very proper reward system, a a means by which you fail, but when the victories come, they feel so worth it and you feel like you achieved something. And it is largely through very uh, enticing gameplay and enticing atmosphere. And when this game seems to be kind of tonally inconsistent from its aesthetic and a lot more morose in what it's actually trying to say and is a lot less snappy and punchy i would imagine than those games feels like i would imagine there's much less of a of an inherent reward system to it am i am i on the money with that or i i mean i i think i think you're right to make the distinction between something like this and something like a something like a dark souls so what i would say is that i think it's two different i actually think it's two different kinds of difficulty where i actually think dark souls wants you to succeed it doesn't want you to succeed immediately though. Like there's very much a kind of like, you're meant to in a sort of prolonged way, get a feel for the game and fail as like part of a redemptive process of succeeding. And this is just a game that wants you to fail. Right, that, that's, and, kind of what I, that's kind of what I mean. It's more, more succinctly put, yeah. And, and, the, and the thing is though, I don't actually think that's a failure though. 
where like I think it wants to be punishing and I think like in terms of like what it is intending to do and like the way it is trying to mobilize mechanics meaningfully I think it's succeeding I think it's just that the way it's succeeding is something that like I am not in a position personally to appreciate right now and I think that's like part of um, why it's been making me so angry is that like I'm right I'm realizing that there's something about the way I normally consume media in like the current state of things that is compromised fundamentally where like there is something that like I feel like I should be able to appreciate and like should be able to sit with and I should be able to sit with the way that I'm failing in this game and go like okay I'm at least gonna you know no matter what happens, I'm going to finish a full playthrough of it. And you know, we'll just see what comes out of it narratively. Because I bet it would actually be a really interesting way to play that game. It's just to fail abjectly. But I don't want to do that. And it feels more like a problem with me. It's interesting. I, well, I think there, there is kind of our thematic connection that we have with these games right now. Is that our reactions to them, I think, are so largely based in where we are at and where the world at large is, is at right now. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, is that you had the expectation that you were going to go into this game loving it. I had the expectation that I was going to go into Jurassic World with like a, a lukewarm opinion because it was a genre I wasn't that into, uh, and, and it was it was going to be whatever. But I think for me, it was it scratched this very specific itch of like giving this kind of weird morphine drip numbing agent of like appealing to this very specific form of nostalgia which like we could have a whole other conversations about the sort of um capitalizing on our generation's nostalgia that has seemed to have gotten way more rampant these days in the last decade or so Um, oh yeah that's another conversation for another day but i will say that i kind of to an extent did fall victim to it a little bit with this game and it also is scratching a very specific itch in that it is so slow paced and so transporting to another world that whereas this game surprised you with how much it disappointed you because of how much it wasn't what you needed right now, this one surprised me with how it was kind of exactly what I was craving right now without even really being aware of that. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I think you put it really perfectly. And I, it's just weird to reflect on like the way, I don't even think it's like our tastes are changing necessarily, but there's just something about the way that we're oriented toward media that is shifting. Like I'll put it this way, like how many people really want to binge Netflix right now? Like I think, you know, you mentioned like that there's a sort of like people are kind of like hitting a breaking point. And I feel like the the fact that, I don't know, it's just like the situation that, it's it's a shift in behavior that then completely that I think reorients our approach to I mean life generally obviously but like you know for the sake of keeping it specific to the show like our approach to media in ways that are subtle and I think in ways that are kind of not apparent until well yeah until we play a thing that we that we think we're going to respond to in a certain way and we don't yeah and like in that kind of you know in, in that moment of failure in that moment of like broken expectations like some meaning comes of that surely tastes will morph as a result of this huge uptick in media exposure um i am fairly certain that tiger king would not have had the success it had if it hadn't come out right at the beginning of quarantine yeah like that was well timed netflix wait a a beautiful serendipitous phenomenon um (laughs) which uh Wow. Where can I use the phrase a beautiful serendipitous phenomenon? I feel like that belongs as like a tagline to something and I don't... That's the magic of radio that even, you know, got to appear in your life. 
There we go. You know, that's the tagline of the show. Socially distanced, colon, a beautiful serendipitous phenomenon. It's <laughs> <laughs> all you need, baby. All right. Uh, I think that's gonna about do it for us. Uh, any final thoughts before we, before we head for the hills? Just the normal. Stay safe. Stay sane. Stay indoors. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.